It's time for Saturday Morning Coffee with Reese Boyd here on Talk. means more coffee. Everybody, welcome to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is Saturday, May 16, 2020, 7.07 on your Saturday morning. I am Reese Boyd, your host for the program. Welcome to the show. It is a beautiful Saturday morning out there. Hope you guys are up and at them, getting your uh, day underway. Saturday Morning Coffee, we invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee, join us. As we talk about the news, current events, what's happening in your world, all the things that we think you need to know. Here at Saturday Morning Coffee, we're all about limited government, lower taxes, and restoring some sense of rational uh, basis for all the things your government is up to today, because that generally means more freedom for you and me and for all of us who are we the people Now more than ever, we have got a country to save, and it starts right here in the studio with uh, your virtual coffee shop, Saturday Morning Coffee. We invite you to settle in with a cup of your favorite Java or whatever breakfast beverage of choice you may prefer, and join us as we help you get your Saturday morning going. We're here joined in the studio by producer extraordinaire, Mr. Glenn Dye. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning. Producing excellence every Saturday. Producing excellence (laughs) every single Saturday morning like clockwork, my friend. I love that weather forecast you gave. I'm looking looking forward to getting outside today. Yeah. Got any big plans for the day? Uh, Working in the yard some more. Good. I tell you, man, I've come a long ways, but today I'm going to help out Carol. You, more you, than like you have come a long way. I can. I can. No, I mean, in the yard. I, I mean, can with all this. That's true. Yeah. I mean, what else was there to do? Oh yeah. So, it's uh, it's it's going to be a beautiful weekend. Um, we've got like no rain expected through Friday. I oh, mean, beautiful. They're, yeah, they're beautiful. talking a forty percent chance on Tuesday, but if it, it rains at all, it's going to be passing and it's going to be really quick. Yeah. Not a washout. Well, good. I was talking to a friend of mine who is building a house, and I said, uh, you know, and we were talking about how difficult this period of time has been, and it has been, and these are unique times, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope uh, they are not the new norm. We'll talk about that during the show today. But my friend was uh, talking about how, what a challenge it has been building a house in the midst of all this, and I said, you know, building a house is not easy in the best of times. Exactly. You know, well, when you've got a job and you've got to, and you've got to build a house and then you've got to deal with the coronavirus pandemic in the background, not an easy thing to do. On the other hand, what else have you got to do? There's a, you know, a house that's happily ready to absorb whatever time you have 
Yeah. Maybe this was not a bad time after Well, don't all. forget to tell your friend. I know a guy who sells blind shades and shutters. You know a guy. You're going you're yeah. to have to cover those windows with something. Yeah, they'll need some window covering. And that's I'll, be thing. Sure to, I'll be sure to drop that in a conversation. People are sitting around their homes you know, because they've been there, and now they're seeing, hey, I should change that. So I've been getting calls. So it's oh, not, yeah. It hasn't been bad for me. Uh, it's you know, not been I'm bad. A, I'm a necessity, so... Well, we were last, uh, was it last week's show? We were talking about how much time we have spent. You know, one of the interesting questions in my mind is how this will change our lives going forward. Things that we do today that we did not do before, things that will stay with us even after the pandemic. You know, we had a, a meeting. I'm, I'm on a board of this. So we were talking about uh, hearings last week, uh, Glenn, but we were at a board meeting this week. And it's an organization that typically meets in Columbia, but we had a Zoom meeting this week, and uh, the meeting was very easy, and I called a couple of board members we were talking afterwards, and you know they said, that was, that was really not bad. Why do we all, because we're from all over the state, uh, why do we drive to Columbia for board meetings? You're going to see a lot of that. I think there's going to be, there was an interesting article that was uh, telemedicine, um, mm-hmm. you know, that is, has taken hold. In, I, I've in used it. In many doctors' offices now, mm-hmm. probably probably not going away, yeah. folks. There's probably a lot of things for which you used to get up and go to the doctor's office that you won't do that anymore. But affordable. I mean, my health care system actually picks up the cost of that telehealth, mm-hmm. uh, where some people might have to pay $15 to $50, depending on who, yeah. what doctor you pit, you choose to see. Yeah. Some have fees, some don't. But, man, what a great thing. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, it's obviously you know way more efficient. Yeah. So uh, it's a, so I think there are interesting things that will um, happen that are you know going to stick with us, not yeah. uh, not going to change even after the pandemic. And one of the things we talked about last week, to get back to your point, wandering here, is that you know we've all spent a lot of time indoors, looking at the four walls in whatever mm-hmm. room, wherever we have uh, sheltered in place, and. Uh, a lot of us doing a lot of thinking about whether we decorated properly the first time, mm-hmm. a lot of repainting going on, a lot of other uh, stuff being uh, looked at. And, of course, you're, you mentioned blinds. So, I, I so. put a storm door on by myself yeah. this week. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a two-man job, by the way. Oh, yeah. That's a, you, <laughs> it's you did kind of heavy. <laughs> you did a two-man job yeah, uh, by myself. By yeah. yourself. That's what we do. Yeah. Well, that's, um, <laughs> that's been an interesting thing it, to me is looking at how uh, life Life is going to be different going forward. Yes, and it will. the The normal that we remember from January twenty twenty is probably not coming back anytime soon. January, February twenty twenty, mm-hmm. we will look back on that and think, "Wow, you know that was uh, that, that, those were good times. Yeah. Those, we were rocking and rolling." But uh, interesting discussion. That is, of course, uh, producer Glenn Daglin. Thanks for all your help this morning with Saturday morning coffee. We invite you guys to join the conversation as well. You can plug in on the call in line. That's eight four three. Nine zero three two nine four five. You can also text us your eloquent, uh, insightful, and erudite commentary, <laughs> as I know you are all just chock full of insightful and erudite commentary. Uh, you can text us on the PCRX text line. That number is eight four three seven nine eight talk. That's eight four three seven nine eight eight two five five. You can also tweet me your comments the twitter handle for the show is at reese boyd and uh, you can also email your comments we invite you to follow the show on social media by the way the twitter handle for the show again at reese boyd we also tweet out the show episodes by podcast which uh, is uh, done every week we actually have two episodes popping up on the um, 
on the grid this weekend because we never got last week's show on the podcast. We'll uh, take care of that. You can also email your comments uh, to us at reeseboydsmc at gmail.com. And uh, some of you like to call me at the office. I always enjoy talking to you guys. You can reach me at the offices of Davis and Boyd, 843-839-9800 is uh, the way to reach me there during normal business hours. And again, tweet me anytime. The Twitter handle is at Reese Boyd. And also invite you guys to uh, subscribe to the podcast, which is uh, growing, actually. Interestingly enough, we have somebody, you know, Glenn, I get a report when, uh, when I upload the podcast every uh, week, when it comes to me, you, you email me the files and we upload the podcast and I get a report. There is somebody in Australia who is listening to the show. So if you are, you're probably not listening as we speak these words, but if you are listening to the show from Australia, we would love to hear from you. Um, send us a, uh, email again, the email address for the show is reeseboydsmc at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. Let me know who you are. Shoot me an address and we will send you a Saturday morning coffee t-shirt or a coffee cup, whatever you prefer. Uh, we'll send you both. Uh, I don't, I don't, how much does it, how much does it cost to, uh, ship a coffee cup to Australia, Glenn? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Well, um, real quick, your Twitter, you were bringing up Twitter. Twitter, actually, the CEO told everybody they can work at home now. Yeah. You saw that. Yeah. I mean, that is how much wildfire uh, people working at home is going to be. In, that's our new norm. Yeah, we will uh, We will get to that. We're going to talk about new work habits, new patterns of living, how that will impact life in the cities. It's a fascinating time to be alive, y'all. It's a real pain in the rear, but it's also interesting. Um, yeah. So stick with us. Interesting guy. I think we've got a good show coming up today. A little later in the show, we'll be talking to Tim McGinnis and also to Mark Epps. Uh, Mark is a candidate for House. Tim is a member of the House. So we've got a couple of interesting interviews coming up for you guys this morning on Saturday Morning Coffee. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. I'm Reese Boyd, your host. There's Glenn Dye. We'll be right back. Don't leave town. And more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. Hi, everybody. It's attorney Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour here on WTKN. I'm also a practicing attorney with the firm of Davis and Boyd, attorneys at law here in Myrtle Beach. These are certainly trying and uncertain times for individuals, families, and businesses here along the Grand Strand. Please know that our team of professionals at Davis and Boyd stands ready to assist you with all of your personal and business legal needs. So if we can assist you in any way, give us a call at 839-9800. That's Davis and Boyd, Attorneys at Law. I'm Steve Robertson. Many of you may know me as publisher of seven weekly newspapers in Horry County, including the Horry Independent and the Loris Scene. As we struggle to recover from the coronavirus, it's more important than ever to send strong, effective leaders to serve you in the State House. If you want a representative for House District 105 that will lead from the front lines, elect me, Steve Robertson. Now, let's get Horry County back to work. Paid for by the committee to elect Steve Robertson. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk 94.5. That's great, it starts with an earth. 
wait. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn world serves its own needs. Dummy serve your own needs. Beat it up and knock speed. Grunt no strength. The ladder starts to clatter with fear. Fight down high. Wire in a fire. Representing seven games in a government for hire. In a combat site. Met the West coming in a hurry with the furies breathing down. You're mad. Team my team reporters battle Trump. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. That's right. It's the end of the world as we know it, and thus far I feel fine. Must be time for another coronavirus update. Let's do the numbers as we always do at the beginning of the program. Most recent numbers reported by the Wall Street Journal from the Johns Hopkins University are worldwide cases. These are the May 15 numbers. They haven't actually released today's numbers yet which would mean they're actually the May 14 numbers, 4,444,670 confirmed cases worldwide, 302,493 deaths worldwide, 27,125 new cases in the United States since yesterday, that means on Thursday, 27,125. That's been a, on the high end of the current range, but that's within the range. Um, 1,417,889 confirmed total U.S. cases as of May 15 report, the May 15 report, with 1,770 deaths as of that day. day deaths since yesterday for a total deaths through the May 15 report from Johns Hopkins of 85,906 85,906 deaths there have been interestingly enough more than 10 million the Johns Hopkins report from May 15 references 10 million coronavirus tests that have been over 10 million 10.3 million that have been conducted in the US interestingly enough the president wants to do uh, a 300 million test supply so 30 think about that that's a lot of people Glenn. 10 million tests given yeah that's a lot that's a, that's a fairly large but as a percentage of the entire population still not that much yeah. um you know so the president has ramped up with operation warp drive or warp speed um a uh, an, an effort to uh produce 300 million um test kits in less than a year and uh Compare that number from uh, yesterday's, from the 515 report, from the May 15 report. Uh, the previous day's reporting were 20,700 uh, new cases and 1,700 deaths. The day before that, the number had been 22,000 cases and 1,700 deaths. The, the number 1,700 keeps coming up uh, in the, over the last week or so. On the May 12th report, Johns Hopkins had reported 17,000 new cases and only 673 new deaths for the day. That was on May the 12th. And on May the 11th, the uh, daily case count was up to 28,000, 
with 2,239 uh, new fatalities for that day, May 11. On May the 10, May the 10th, the number was 24,000 uh, new U.S. cases reported on May the 10th with 2,300 uh, deaths. So you guys can see where the, over the last week or so where those numbers have been trending. Daily, uh, daily new case counts have been approximately 20,000, fluctuating here and there. Um, daily new fatalities have been ra- ranging around 2,000 with a low point of about 670. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, day, days as high as 2,000, around 2,700. And I think the question becomes, so the curve has certainly flattened. Oh, yeah. Definitely yeah. the curve has flattened. But we're now dealing with a situation where every day we've got 20,000 new cases and a couple of thousand new deaths. And I think the question that's on my mind, uh, Glenn and everybody listening, is how long will that persist? When do, when do we get to the point where new daily deaths uh, new daily fatality reporting as a result of coronavirus are a hundred or less. When do we get to that point? And I haven't heard a, yeah. I haven't seen a clear answer to that. I don't think anybody really knows, frankly. No. Um, you know, some people thought as soon as it warmed up, the thing would go away. Right. And I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen again, raising the question of how long uh, does this persist um, you know, just to give you guys a, a corollary, if we got to the point where coronavirus deaths were consistently averaging 100 a day, mm-hmm. that puts you at obviously 36,500 deaths per year, which is a little bit less than the number of people who die in auto accidents. Okay. Still, not, still not an insignificant number by any you know stretch of the imagination. So I guess the question becomes, uh, you know, when does this become the new normal? And how do we deal with that? When do we decide that this is the new normal? How will we, how will we make uh, that decision? Well, so, and to see what's going to happen now yeah. that the country is reopening. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is, <laughs> we're, we're experimenting here. Yeah, and we are yeah. very much so. We're, but we're actually, the interesting thing uh, is we're now making, you know, the models were clearly not, not an right. accurate basis for public but so policy. Are hurricane models yeah you know i mean you know yeah i made the, i made that we were talking about that we were talking yeah. about that this week what is a model and i said look at hurricane season y'all exactly your point yeah a european model of, yeah of the coronavirus was different than our i mean yes yeah, it's, it's just mod- like hurricane yeah I mean, some models have the yeah. thing coming ashore at key west and some say look out quebec i'm you know? telling and well, it's I'm everywhere, you, and man, everywhere in between a, i should have been a weatherman yeah. <laughs> So, uh, you know, a model is just a, a, a large number of assumptions built together yeah. in, a, in, a, in a complex calculation, and yeah. it's all packaged up in, you know, black box format, and you put a number in and you get a number out. But it has no, you know, guarantee of being anything more, anything better than the worst of the assumptions on which, you know, it's based. Right. So two questions, though, two interesting questions. Appreciate y'all thinking about this, giving us your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think. What do we do? They're still saying in November that we can expect COVID-19 2.0 to return. And what do we do about that when that happens? And then secondly, another big question that's been on my mind this week, I think it's an equally important question, is what do we do if we can? Will China be held to account for the way in which it has contributed 
to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we'll talk more about that during the show. But I think there's obviously there's voluminous evidence at this point that China has engaged in a cover up and has participated in various attempts to deceive the world community that have vastly uh, enlarged the scope of this pandemic. The British, uh, uh, as we talked about last week, have the, the, the Brits have issued a study. They believe that the actions of the Chinese Communist Party in this in this pandemic have increased uh, fatalities. They attribute over 90% of the fatalities in this pandemic to the actions of the Chinese Communist Party and, and, of, and of China. And by the way, I want to remind everybody, when we talk about this, we're not talking about uh, Chinese people individually. I have a ton of Chinese friends, many Chinese uh, individuals living here who are clients of our firm, and they are wonderful people. And this is not about the Chinese people themselves. This is about their government. Right. And this is about the actions of the Chinese Communist Party. By the way, the um, the climbers checking in on the text, uh, PCRX text, text line. line this morning, mm-hmm. that uh, when we have truth in numbers, uh, yes, we will fight fire with fire. I could not agree with you all more. And we actually are now, at least we have data, you know, right. to make public policy decisions on. But again, the question becomes... If this is just the background level of attrition, if we're if, if the numbers stabilize somewhere around where they are now, how do we is that the new normal? When do we decide that when do we decide that is the new normal? And uh, and and when do the numbers get down to the kind of numbers that I'm talking about, which are still significant, but still uh, a ways to go before we get there. Well, and Don Ballon checked in a mega hat guy. Yes. Uh, I love your good hat. Morning. Good love morning, hat, Don. Buddy. Uh, the real question is how many deaths being reported are definitely COVID-19? Well, that's another excellent question, Don, yeah. which uh, we've already talked about on this show, which is there's a, a substantial amount of over-reporting. Oh, yeah. Because they're getting money, right, yeah. for every one of those? Yeah, things. they've incentivized uh, amazing. COVID reporting. So more to talk about in the uh, coming uh, segments. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee after these words. Don't leave town. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Two full hours on Talk 94.5. In a cave below the ground. Way down, it's cold and it's dark. But it knows his way around, and the mazes of the underground are no match for him. But it looks just like a traveler who hasn't showered in a while and been living in the ground. Milo is your best friend, he's your second cousin. All roads lead to He's a rising sun Milo is a long, long way From home yet Milo is a name you won't forget Milo I haven't met yet 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. I think they think that guy's talking about me. Glenn, <laughs> I look like I've been living in a cave underground, <laughs> traveling for a while. You have gotten rather fuzzy. Yeah. That's a little Mike the Electrician for y'all. Milo. And uh, folks, want to take a break from our discussion of the coronavirus pandemic. There is other... Um, stuff to talk about with regard to coronavirus, but I mentioned at the top of the hour that we would be joined this morning by a couple of interviews. Our first interview is on the line with us. We're joined now by Mark Epps, who is a candidate for South Carolina House of Representatives, District 68 over in Saucus T. Mark wanted to come on the show and introduce himself, and actually he's been introduced on this station before, I believe, but just talk a little bit about his campaign and uh, for our listeners and why he's running and what he's going to do if he's successful in his campaign. Mark, can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Beautiful day out and excited that it's uh, Saturday and glad to have you with us on the program. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Um, you are Thanks for having me. Yes, you are a candidate, Mark. You and actually, you and I actually discovered when we were talking that, and I didn't know this uh, because I know you as Patton, but we had met. Uh, we had met uh, on the uh, in the gloom, as we call it, in an F three lingo. But I m- many of our listeners know that uh, uh, about F three, the men's workout, uh, peer led workouts uh, sponsored by the F three organization. Uh, Lombardi has been on the program before to talk about F3, but uh, I've met uh, Patton through uh, through F3. We've worked out together, and so. Uh, but Patton is not his real name. His legal name, which he is using on the ballot, is Mark Epps. Mark is joining us. Mark, you you are a first time candidate for House, are you not? This is your first race. I am. That is that is correct. Yes. How um, tell us tell the folks a little bit about who Mark Epps is and uh, and and uh, what your what your bio story is if you would uh well going back to to growing up i grew up in soxy two miles from door to door from where i live now to my mom's house where uh, i grew up um walked to school graduated to from soxy high school and uh then tied my hand at a few things and then decided that i needed to serve our country so i went to uh and joined the U.S. Army, where I, I spent 23 and almost 24 years uh, serving our country. Went to Iraq and Afghanistan a couple times each um, with the 82nd Airborne. And then uh, I, achieved, I became a PA during that time. I was an infantryman for about half the time, and then I, I went to PA school. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I, I, I've taken as much as I could of the abuse that comes with that kind of service and moved back home. Yeah. When I got back home, Soxy wasn't the same place that I left, which I, I, after that length of time you wouldn't expect it, but it, it seemed like it had been uh, ignored or, or, or neglected. And uh, after some not trying to, to run for office or anything, but trying to influence people, uh, it, it just, it, things weren't getting better. We were getting empty promises. My my uh, my house flooded twice, uh, almost flooded three times. The first time it came right up to the house, and then it just progressively gets worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so- know when my yard floods, there's my neighbor's houses are flooding. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, 
and, and we only get these empty promises of what we're going to do to mitigate the flooding about every two years. So every election cycle. Yeah. Um, that I, I was actually approached and asked if I would run. Um, I wasn't. Um, it, it wasn't something that I thought I could do on my own. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't. I'm not that involved in the political system. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I was asked. I I prayed about it. I talked to some people about it and decided that this was what was in store for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, here I am trying to uh, get into this position so that I can serve the people, so that I can continue to serve as I did in the Army, yeah. but this time the people of District 68, Horry County in the state of South Carolina. Yeah, excellent. What um, what has the pandemic done in in terms of how have you been able to campaign? What sort of things have you been doing to get the word out? What uh, how's it been trying to campaign in the midst of all this craziness? It, it's incredibly difficult. Um, the uh, signs, of course, um, and then social media is really the only options. Um, I, I have run across a few people, but not many, where. They, they see the sign and they ask me about it. Uh, but for the most part, it's social media. Can't knock on doors yet. Um, we have some things planned where I'm going to try and get into the neighborhoods and just be a presence there. And hopefully some people will feel comfortable enough to approach. But not, knocking on doors is not, not an option at this point. Yeah. And if you are successful, uh, Mark, what is uh, what are the main uh, issues that you intend to emphasize as a member of the House of Representatives in uh, in Columbia? Uh, the, the number one being flooding, flood mitigation, simply because it affects so many people in in the district. Uh, and then uh, my, my top four are flooding homelessness. There's a, a, a huge homeless population in Socrates, mm-hmm. and as we try to develop Socrates, um, that homeless population, which is right now kind of being ignored and just allowed to be there, is going to become a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it's, it's not just a problem for the homeowners and the people, because as, as homeless populations rise, so does property crimes and violent crimes, and then you are burden on the EMS because of of the uh, fact that a lot of homeless people are addicted to drugs and they overdose yep. periodically. Yep. Um, but but also the, these are human beings; these are these are people that uh, that we're supposed to, to love. They're, they're our neighbors, even though they don't have a, a physical house, um, and they need to be taken care of. And, and homelessness is a, a, a complex problem that there's no single answer for, but there are answers. And there's organizations out there that already exist that could be brought in to help put people in homes that want to be in homes and give them the life skills training and the, the uh, possibly job training so that they can be self-sufficient, so that they're not out there having to live in the woods in a tent or under a tarp. Yeah. Um, also there, there's no domestic violence out there in this County. We scare the one with, with Georgetown 
or we put uh, domestic violence victims up in a hotel somewhere. Uh, we, we have a fairly high rate of domestic violence in this county, and I think that we need a shelter here to protect our people, our citizens, instead of pushing them off onto a, a neighboring county where if you're in one part of a certain part of Horry County, you know this, you might drive two hours to get to the one in Georgetown County. Yeah. That's a long way to go when you're scared and, and you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then of course, infrastructure, that's the big one. Road. We, we were made a promise by our legislator that with this increasing gas tax, yep. that our roads were going to get fixed. Well, our roads aren't getting fixed, or, or they are, but it, it, it's such a slow rate. By the time they get to to the roads that are falling apart now, like Holmestown Road, uh, the roads that they just fixed will, will be falling apart again. Yeah. Um, and then also there are some some folks up in Columbia that are trying to divert some of that tax money to go to pet projects. Um, but- Imagine that we were, yeah, yeah we were, we were made a, pro- a promise, and that promise needs to be upheld. And you know, of course, the, we're, we're a growing area. We're one of the fastest growing areas in the country. Sure, uh, and we're not. We're only putting new surfaces on roads. We're mm-hmm. not making them better for transportation. We're not, with these increasing numbers, we're going to get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So we need to start focusing on improving the infrastructure we have to handle these bigger numbers. Yeah. Mark, if folks want to get in touch with your campaign, they want to help out, volunteer, uh, contribute, how can they How can they find you? They can uh, They can find me on Facebook. Um, you can message me through the Facebook page, at, uh, Mark Epps for, uh, for House Seat 68. Okay. Uh, you can text me or phone call me at 910-261-1866. Or email me at F4House68 at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for coming on the program. Good luck with the race. Uh, if we can help you in any way, let us know. And, uh, folks, check him out online. It's Mark Epps for State House Seat 68. Look for him on Facebook and follow the campaign. And, uh, folks, we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Text us 843-798-TALK. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with my brand new invention. Something grabs an odor, me tightly, flowing like an awful. Daily and nightly, will it ever stop, y'all? I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll go to the extreme. I rock a mic like a man who light up the stage and wax a chump like a candle dance. Caress the speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom, deadly. When I play a dope melody, anything less than the best. So finally love it to leave it. You better get away. Better hit bullseye. Yeah, man, we've been going back to the Reese Boyd show now, huh? <laughs> Very good. Thank you, man. Check out the hook. 
I wish I could play them steel drums like this man do, you know? Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to uh, the Saturday morning coffee program. This is Reese Boyd, your host, and that is Glenn Dye. And uh, that's the Marty Robbins Project in the background, a little cover of Vanilla Ice, Ice, Ice Baby. Hope you guys appreciate that. Before the uh, thanks to Mark Epps, who is candidate for uh, South Carolina House District 68. That is uh, the seat currently held by the incumbent Heather Ammons Crawford. I invite y'all to check out uh, Mr. Epps' campaign on Facebook. Search for Mark Epps for House, and uh, you'll find him there. Get in touch if you are uh, if you like what you hear and you want to help out. Uh, by the way, to all the candidates in all the races, want to reiterate my uh, open invitation. We have an open mic policy here at Saturday Morning Coffee. If you would like to come on the program and join us to tell the folks how you are going to uh, improve things if you are elected or how you will continue to serve them if you are reelected, please be in touch. We will let you uh, on the program as soon as we can get you on. And um, speaking of which, I uh, was not going to get to this just yet, but I I talked about this uh, a little bit last week, and I was going to mention this to Mark Epps, but I am just uh, very uh, disturbed. This was a subject of an editorial cartoon by Ed Wilson this week Mm. uh, that uh, the Ory County, excuse me, the state, the South Carolina Republican Party, and I'm going to invite Drew McKissick to come on the program. Don't know that he will have an opportunity to do that or not, but we'll see to talk about mailings that the South Carolina Republican Party has been mailing out, which are, uh, I will use the word duplicitous. They appear to be a Republican Party mailing in that they address generalized topics of absentee voting and the ability of absentee ballots, which are uh, you know, readily available if you'd like to uh, vote absentee in the upcoming June 9 primary. But they also are specifically endorsing particular candidates. I've seen uh, one that's uh, sent out with a as a as a um, Im- implicit endorsement. It's not an explicit endorsement. I want to make that clear. Um, an implicit endorsement of Heather Ammons Crawford. I've seen another version of a similar mailer that was done on behalf of uh, House Member Alan Clemens. And, you know, my my struggle here, by the way, the governor this week signed a bill which makes everybody eligible to vote absentee uh, in uh, South Carolina's June primaries. This this from South Carolina Lawyers Weekly and the Associated Press May 15, Henry McMaster signed into law Wednesday a bill allowing anyone to vote absentee in next month's statewide primary and runoffs. Both the House and Senate passed the proposal Tuesday, overcoming several roadblocks to assure no one has to vote in person for the June 9 primaries because of coronavirus. The narrowly tailored law only applies to this year's primary. Lawmakers said they will consider in the summer or early fall if changes need to be made for November's elections. Voters requested an absentee ballot by mail or at an in-person location can select state of emergency for the reason that they are voting absentee. The South Carolina Election Commission has said election Commission officials have also been given $15 million for safety at the polls. They plan to use the money to hire additional poll workers and get them protective equipment and masks, face shields, gloves, etc., as well as adding sneeze guards, hand sanitizer, and cotton swabs to use on the touchscreen machines. Some typical polling places are refusing to open for the primaries out of safety concerns. So officials are moving or combining some precincts. And I will say this now. 
I have said it before. I will say it again. I think it was a mistake for the General Assembly not to push back the June 9 primary. I think it would have been very easy, uh, in my humble opinion, to push the primary back at least a month. It would have been very, uh, the, remember, folks, the election's not until November. So, I, in my opinion, it would have been a small hop to move the primary to July, perhaps even August, when hopefully the coronavirus, again, back to what is the new normal, hopefully the coronavirus pandemic will be behind us. But that was not done, frankly. I think there are people in the seats of power who would just as soon things stay on course, stay as they are, because they know, as Mark Epps discussed during his interview, campaigning now is hard. It's always hard for an incumbent to get out and make a dent move the needle with the electorate. It is doubly, triply hard in an environment when you can't get out and meet people face to face. That's how campaigns are won, frankly. And so I'm, again, want to express my disappointment that nobody in the General Assembly would allow that measure to move forward. In my mind, it would have been a no-brainer to push the primary back unless you are concerned about keeping the playing field less than fully flat, less than fully even, and you're interested in incumbency protection, which gets me back to the beginning of this little rabbit trail, which is the South Carolina Republican Party sending out mailers that look like their endorsements. They're not really explicit endorsements, but they look like their endorsements. And so the question then becomes, why do you do that? Either endorse or don't endorse. Drew McKissick has said, I'm told, that it was not the intent. The party did not have the intent to endorse specific candidates. But yet, clearly, the mailer gives that impression. It says it's paid for by the party with the approval of that particular candidate. So that clearly infers that there's a cooperative effort going on between the state party and the campaign in question. So, again, the question is, why would you do that? It reminds me, if I wanted to do a, a sports analogy, Glenn, I'm thinking we're at the Masters. You know, the Republican Party, let's remember, the Republican Party is at least nominally the sponsor for the June 9 primary. Yeah. The, public, the, the reason we have primaries is because we have parties. And the reason we have parties is people are supposed to coalesce around whether they have a generally conservative view of government or a generally crazy leftist view of government. And there's a party for either of you. It, uh, there's a mainline party for either of you. And so the question then becomes, if the party is the sponsor of the election— of the primary, why wouldn't they want that to be fair? You know, it's like going to the Masters tournament, and I'm imagining Hootie Johnson walking out on the green, on the putting green, and saying, you know what, guys? We really like Tiger this year. We love all you fellas. All you fellas, we encourage you to pursue a career in professional golf. We wish you the best, but at every hole, we're going to give Tyler a mulligan, because we like all y'all, but we really like Tiger. And so, what kind of tournament would that be? We want a great tournament now. We want, a, we want a good tournament, but at every hole, we're going to give Tiger a mulligan because we kind of like Tiger. You know, Bernie Sanders probably likes your analogy right there. Just, he probably would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so the question then becomes, why is the party engaged? And if, as Drew McKissick, the state chairman, has said, it wasn't our intent to endorse anybody, why didn't they put all the candidates on these mailers? I have a real problem with that. And, uh, and I don't know that there is anything that they're going to do to fix that, but... Again, I want to encourage anybody who is thinking about running, we need more people to get out and, and, and challenge the system, and you do that by getting involved. All these things, frankly, the, the resistance to moving the primary, sending out mailers that look like they're advancing a, a general 
state uh, party public service agenda. But while they're still clearly favoring one candidate over others, is it's all about incumbency protection, folks. And so is the South Carolina Republican Party a party or are they the incumbency protection society? We need to figure that out. So more to talk about and after these words. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5. You're the world to me. 100% true. Little David Gray here in the coffee house. On your Saturday morning, it is 8.07 on your Saturday morning. You're in the bonus second cup hour of Saturday morning coffee. 8.07 on your Saturday morning. I want to thank again our first guest on the show, Mark Epps, for a house. We're joined. We're going to be joined here in this segment by our second guest on the program, Representative Tim McGinnis. We spoke to a member who seeks to join the House of Representatives. We are now going to talk briefly with Tim McGinnis, who is a good friend. He is a member of the House. Apparently, we just lost Representative McGinnis. We got a little... Uh, We've got a little issue, folks. Hold on. I'm going to drop that one, Glenn. Got a little background noise courtesy of AT&T. Um, Tim McGinnis is a businessman. He runs the famous toastery over in Carolina Forest. Many of you will remember him from his years as an anchor on uh, WPDE locally. So he's an accomplished uh, journalist and television news, news anchor. Tim, hey, you're on the air. I'm just talking about you. Can you hear me? Tim? Hello? Oh, apparently we, apparently we, <laughs> apparently we lost. Uh, maybe the third time will be a charm. Yeah, maybe the third time will be the charm. Tim, if you can hear us, please call back. Um, let me uh, shoot him a text. But uh, Tim is a member of the House of Representatives. He represents Carolina Forest. He uh, succeeded Mike Ryle in the uh, in the post, and he has served uh, the remainder of Mike Ryle's term, and is now, I believe. Approaching the end of his first full term in the House. Again, he was on WPDE locally for many years, so most of you know him as a result of that stint. He's also a businessman, as I discussed. Uh, he's the owner of the famous toastery over in Carolina Forest. Tim, can you hear me now? I can hear you now, Reese. I right. apologize. I have, a, I have a new app on my computer, and I get it takes my phone calls, and I accidentally kept hitting it and hanging up on you. So uh, oh, once dear. I figure my technology out, we'll be okay. I won't hit that button anymore, don't, I promise. D- don't hit the button again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, it's funny you say that uh, because I was actually doing a Zoom. You know, we're all Zooming these days. I was doing a Zoom tele- sure. teleconference, 
And I realized I have set my devices such that when I get a phone call on my cell, it rings on my computer, it rings on my <laughs> iPad. I mean, it rings throughout the office, and, and that's just on my personal cell phone. And I realized in the Zoom call, that's a huge distraction. So, yes. um, and because it, it literally, the screen goes blank and you get the red square and the green square. And I'm like, whoa, 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 where, you know, and so it's just, you, we're learning how to deal with all these things. So, but thanks for, we are. thanks for dialing in. I, yeah. uh, sure. Safety tip for all you Zoom teleconferencers out there, set your cell phone to do not disturb at the beginning of your Zoom teleconference and you will avoid all of that. So a little helpful safety tip for you here on Saturday morning coffee. But Tim, we wanted to talk to you about your experience in the legislature. First, tell the folks, um, I've got a question for you. You and I have talked about this. I've known you for you know, many years now. But what has it been like as a small businessman and a, a restaurateur to try to shepherd your small, small business uh, through this pandemic? It's, it's definitely been the most trying time of, of the four years of owning a business. And believe me, there have been a lot of trying times in four years of, of being a first-time business owner. Yeah. Um, when when this began, and when when the govern when the governor made the uh, you know you know the order um, prohibiting dining, um, we were really just at a loss. Didn't know where we were going to go, what we were going to do, because you know you have bills coming in, but no revenue coming in. Yeah. And fortunately, we applied for a PPP loan, the Payroll Protection Act, and um, received it, and that that is able to keep us kind of floating in these months without revenue. Now we're in these months, uh, hopefully not months, hopefully it won't be that long, but we're in this period of severely decreased revenue. So we went from a point where we couldn't operate at all, it just didn't make financial sense for us, to where we got the PPP loan, where we were able to do delivery and um, carry out. And that meant that we took a 90% hit in business. As opposed to a hundred percent hit in business, that's yeah. you know not quite as bad. Now that we can do some, um, we we can do outdoor seating and we can do fifty percent of our capacity. We're basically doing about, we're, our business is anywhere down about fifty to sixty percent. So, yeah. and and this is the restaurant industry. You look at the, um, you look at your 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 hairdresser. You look at your uh, the, the tattoo parlors. You look at different shops that, that are not able to open at all until Monday. They're, they're kind of in even more dire straits than we are. So to, to say that this is uh, that this virus uh, not only, uh, you know, you, you know, targets you physically, but it also targets us economically is an understatement. And there are a lot of people that are that are that are suffering right now. Yeah. Well, one of the things we have talked about on this program is whether or not the measures that we have implemented in response to the coronavirus may ultimately, as a result of the economic impact, wind up doing more damage and, in fact, costing lives in terms equivalent to or perhaps even greater than the virus itself. I mean, that's obviously something that we will have to assess going forward. But yeah, clearly the economic impact of all this has just been unbelievable, devastating. One one thing that I have heard, uh, Tim, I'd appreciate your thoughts on, I'm not a restaurateur. I have clients who are. But one of the things that I am hearing is if you let us open up to 50%, you know, the, the rule of thumb I've always heard in a lot of businesses is the profit in any business is the last 10 to 15 percent of the revenue that walks in the door. And a lot of restaurateurs are now telling me, you know, if you let me operate my business at 50 percent capacity, um, 
you know, the profit in my business are those tables between 80 and 100. I don't really make money until I get over 75, you know, percent capacity. Mm -hmm. I won't make any money. I'll operate, but I won't, there won't actually be any profit left over at the end of the day for me. What, how do you feel about that? What's your thoughts there? Uh, exactly. Uh, the restaurant business over the years, you know, I, I think a lot of people assume that if you own a restaurant and it's, it's busy, that you're making a lot of money. That's not necessarily the case. And our profit margins are very small, sometimes even smaller than what you mentioned. And depending on how you opened your business, if you're not a corporation, if you're a mom and pop and you, you put a lot of money into it, you're paying down a lot of debt just to service being able to be in service. So it's a, uh, it's definitely not a, uh, it's not a profitable business to begin with to begin with, uh, a highly profitable business. I mean, there, there are rewards to it. And if you run it right, you can make a comfortable living, but, um, there are very few, uh, extremely wealthy people opening a local restaurant yeah. that, that aims to be just that a local restaurant. Well, we, um, we love your restaurant. You know, I think you and I've talked about this in the past. Uh, I've been in the original famous toastery, which is in Davidson, North Carolina. Yeah. I've also been in yours. Uh, but yeah. I've been in the original famous toastery in Davidson, North Carolina, because that's where I went to school, and uh, we just love it. And by the way, remind folks where your restaurant is. Go ahead and do a, do, do a shameless, a shameless oh, commercial the, plug I'll, for I'll your now-open restaurant. Me, in, the, in this day and age, I will take any shameless plug I can get, but we're at 2005 Oakheart Road in Carolina Forest. That's kind of across from Ollie's. We're next to Sprint there. Yeah, um, We're open every day from 8 o'clock until 2 o'clock right now. Our hours work seven to three, but we've had to kind of scale and play with those hours based on when we were seeing people come in and when it was really just made sense for us to be open. Yeah. And I can go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say we're, we're breakfast and lunch, brunch, yeah. scratch made every day. <laughs> yeah. And I can attest, uh, our listeners at Saturday morning coffee, surprise, surprise, love good coffee, Tim. And I can attest that they can get some fine uh, coffee at your, uh, at your establishment there in Carolina forest. There were some other things, Tim, that I wanted to talk about, things going on in the General Assembly and not just your experience in the restaurant business, but your experience uh, in the legislature. Can you hang with us for another little bit after the break? I would love to, Reese. Thank you. Okay. Folks, that's Tim McGinnis, uh, House, uh, House member for the uh, South Carolina House of Representatives and owner of the Famous Toastery. And we'll be back with more Saturday morning coffee right after these messages. Don't leave town. Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, and more coming up next on Talk 94.5. Thanks for waking up with Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. You're into the bonus second cup hour of 
Saturday morning coffee. I hope that second cup is uh, going down smooth. We're, uh, brother, let me be your shelter. Little need to breathe here in the coffee house. We're here on uh, Saturday morning coffee with uh, special guest Tim McGinnis. Tim is a restaurateur and a member of the General Assembly. We were talking to him before the break, and Tim wanted to ask you perhaps a good segue from service uh, or from running a small business, running a restaurant to, to service in the General Assembly is to mention uh, you and I discussed a proposal you had sent to the governor uh, that you think will bring some, could be a good source of relief for small businesses, not just restaurants, but restaurants and other small businesses. Tell maybe uh, tell the folks a little bit about what your uh, proposed proposal to the governor is all about. Well, you know, from, from the ground level here, Reese, you know, as a business owner, I can see that one of the biggest problems we're going to have particularly along the Grand Strand, but this is going to be all over the state, all over the country, is that uh, is small businesses, while we mentioned they, they work on tight margins, one of their biggest expenses outside of payroll is rent. And when we get through this, you know, those of us who are fortunate enough to receive the PPP, that might cover us for a couple months' rent because we have to spend 75% of that PPP on our employees. And then the remaining the remainder, the remainder can be spent on things like rent, there, there are stipulations as to what that can be spent on. Believe me, that dissolves very quickly when you have other loans, you have other suppliers, you have overhead, you have uh, you you know the, the the lights to keep on. Rent becomes a, a really a really big challenge, and it eats it up very quickly. So we're good until we get to about July or August, and then when we get to July and August, if we're still seeing our our revenues down fifty, sixty, seventy percent in what should be the gravy time of year, a lot of businesses are going to have to face some tough choices. Um, and I, and I, I floated this idea with a lot of business owners and some of them, uh, they, they came forward saying, you know, our rent is 35%, you know, of, our, of what we take in. Um, and, and these are, this is particularly true of a lot of the smaller businesses that w- just catered to tourists. I'm fortunate that we, we have a great local following, but those businesses that just cater to tourists, they're going to have a tough time covering it. And the landlord either can um, work with his tenant and, 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 and give them some relief, or he can't because his hands are tied because he owes the bank. So sure. the, the, the state, under the CARES Act, the states received, the governors received um, some, some money to help out in their state with, with however they see to spend it fighting COVID. And uh, we received about $1.9 billion. And I asked the governor to spend, I would think it would probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 150 to $200 million helping the small businesses here pay rent. Mm-hmm. And it could be a, it could be something that goes to the banks to make the landlords whole. I don't, you, you know, we could take a look at, at, at P&L statements from businesses to show where they were not able to, to, to meet their costs. Um, it, if we don't, I don't know if you practice bankruptcy law, but if you do, you're going to be, you're going to be overwhelmed pretty soon Yeah, because it's, it's a, it's a real concern. I'm not for government bailouts, but then again, I was not asked to close for two months and I was not asked to, uh, you, you, this is something we didn't ask for. Yeah, It's something our government told us we needed to do told us and right or wrong. Yeah. We told need us to, to do, do it. it. Yeah, did not give yeah. us did not give us a choice. And and I guess that's a segue into a very fundamental question. And I don't I hate to put you on the spot. We, um, but I, do you feel like our response? Because this is this is something that we have talked about on this program, and it's mm-hmm. been a concern of mine from the get go. Um, Tim is 
you know, I hear all, I have a lot of clients that are hanging by a thread, literally financially uh-huh. hanging by yep. a thread. And, and those, those, it's not just, I have people who make comments to me on Facebook along the lines of, well, you care more about the stock market than about people's lives. When I say, you know, when I make the arguments like mm-hmm. I'm making right now, that is the most absurd comment that anybody has ever said to me. And, and I can't believe, but that's when you boil it all down on the other side of the aisle, that's the attitude that they want to portray. But when small businesses go bankrupt, it has real impact on, on health care outcomes for families, on the health of families. People, you know, it has real impact on depression. It has real impact on suicide. These are people's lives that are bound up in these small businesses. And if you've lived your entire life getting a government paycheck, I guess that really doesn't resonate with you. But the fact is, people like you who depend on the operation of a small business, when they lose that business, that is that's a that's a lifetime devastation. You, you know, I and I, I posted about this on on, fa- on my Facebook page a while back when I was kind of frustrated with what I was reading on Facebook. And I have friends who are are the ultimate progressive Democrats, and I have friends who are the ultimate conservative. Republicans, you know, mm-hmm. and I love I love them all dearly, but disagree with uh, particularly my progressive Democratic friends yeah. vehemently. And uh, and but it, it we don't nobody knows what's right and what's wrong right now. We're gonna history is going to show us what we need to do right now is work together and get through this. Yeah. There's no doubt about it that this disease is a serious kick in the teeth if you have a pre-existing condition or if you're one of the vulnerable populations. But you're absolutely right that letting our, you know, I, I, I compared this one night I, in another moment of, uh, you know, trying to make sense of this. It's kind of like somebody has taken an M16 and pointed at the economy and cannot get their finger off the trigger. And we just keep pounding it and pounding it and pounding it. And the result is going to be people going hungry. It's already going to be people losing their homes, um, you, you know. It, it is a it's a it's a very it's a very scary situation and it's one where the right and wrong answers are not readily apparent they will be down the road and we'll see where we went wrong a couple things we did in the legislature in an in, in, in effort that i support um is you know the governor can, can declare a state of emergency um basically has to renew it every two weeks and and I think that after that that first state of emergency that you can declare, because there can be a situation that sneaks up on you, and you've got to declare that state of emergency, you don't have time to get legislative approval. Yeah. But I think once you can, I think there needs to be legislative approval before the gov- of the governor's emergency declaration. Yeah. It, it needs to be something a little bit more well thought out. This virus is awful, Reese. And I, my sister-in-law, um, she battled it for about four weeks. She's fine now. But it was it was touch and go there for a while. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know this this is something, and, and you know I drove down. Uh, I, I took the family down to, to Myrtle Beach last night, and we were looking for a place to eat, and uh, places were packed. We ended up choosing to eat at a place that wasn't so packed. Yeah. But you know, who knows? Two weeks from now, we might hear that there's a huge spike here, and we might be in in trouble all over again. So mm-hmm. I mean, this virus. You, 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 that's the toughest thing to. to for, I think a business to deal with right now is consumer confidence. We always hear consumer confidence bound about, but it's usually in the terms of the stock market's tanking. Consumers don't have any confidence. They're not spending. Well, here you have a, a crisis of consumer confidence, not just in the economy, but in the virus. Yeah. In fact, right now I'd say the consumer confidence is more over the virus, but in the coming weeks and months as 
people aren't paid, you know, the the, the nine hundred twenty six dollars uh, a week unemployment, mm-hmm. and, and as that runs out, and as different is some of the different aid packages run out, it's all of a sudden going to switch from being either just a virus or it's going to be a virus and an economic combined. Um, so it, it, it's it's some real real tough roads ahead. Yeah. Somebody asked me, "How's your business doing?" And I said, "I'm not worried about my business tomorrow. I'm worried about my business three to six months down the road." Yeah. That's that's where the fear is, and that's that's why I hope we can get and Congress can get an aid package through that makes sense and that can help people. Unfortunately, what was passed in Washington D.C. yesterday was nothing but a partisan yeah. joke, in yeah. my opinion, and. It wasn't something that was worked on and hashed out in a bipartisan effort to make this country whole and great again. Instead, it was something that was done to make a party seem relevant again. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, Tim, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal this week about how many restaurants trying to reopen now that states are relaxing various restrictions. They're finding it hard many times to get staff to come back to work because they were, excuse me, making more money in, in terms of stimulus payments and enhanced unemployment. Then they make if they come back to work, and uh, yeah. you know, so it's a uh, you know, government action. Uh, all, there are always consequences to each and sure. every every government action. Well, uh, Tim, I want to thank you for being a voice, uh, you know, advocate for small business in the General Assembly. I think you've done a great job. Anything else you want to share with the with the listeners quickly before we let you go? Just to say that you know, I met Reese Boyd interviewing him years ago, and now he's turned the tables on me. Yeah. So, uh, Reese, you, you made it a pretty, pretty easy, uh, yeah, I think pretty I, easy for me. I think you were a little tougher on me, as I recall. But, I may have been. You, yeah. you go tougher next time, man. I will. I will. <laughs> Tim, if folks, if, if folks want to get in touch with Representative Tim McGinnis, how can they do that? They can write down my phone number right now. This is my cell phone number, 843-798-7440. Or you can send me an email. It's real simple. Tim McGinnis at macmac.com. If you disagree with me, I'd still love to hear from you. I, I, I love to hear everybody's opinion, and then, and, and I think that's what true leadership is: is listening to all opinions and then making the best decision based on common sense and the right way forward. Absolutely, great, Tim. Listen, we appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and uh, good luck with everything at the famous toastery. Y'all check out the restaurant when you can. Tim, come back on the show anytime. And folks, we'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee after these messages. Don't leave town. Saturday morning coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour returns after these on Talk 94.5. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. 8.35 on your Saturday morning, Saturday, May 16, 2020. 
want to thank Tim McGinnis for joining us on the show, Representative Tim McGinnis, and also uh, restaurateur, owner of the famous Toastery over in Carolina Forest. Y'all be sure to check the famous Toastery out uh, for some great coffee, great breakfast fare, great lunch fare. You will not be disappointed. And uh, I want to thank Tim again for his time. No, he's very busy. One of the things that we talked about in the interview was his concern about the, the, um, the renewal of the state of emergency. And, of course, Governor uh, McMaster has issued now multiple orders uh, declaring a state of emergency going back, uh, I want to say the first one was in March, uh, March 15. And, of course, he's done this now multiple times. And the question becomes, uh, I think the first order of, uh, yes, the first order of emergency was Executive Order 202009, declaring a state of emergency on March 13, 2020. And, of course, as uh, Representative McGinnis indicated, the, the statute says 15 days is the time period that the governor has uh, in which he, for which he can declare a state of emergency. And then the state of emergency, in effect, must be ratified, as I read the statute, and not, I, I only not only did I play one on television once, but I actually am a lawyer, as you guys know. Uh, the the state of emergency, as I read the statute, has to be ratified by the General Assembly, and I think that's a reasonable precaution. Uh, you know, those of you who listen to the show know that I'm a big fan of making the governor in South Carolina more powerful. I think we need to devolve power away from the General Assembly particularly away from the Senate, toward the governor's office. I think in doing so, we will make our government more modern, more accountable, more transparent uh, for the 21st century. But in this particular instance, we're talking about a particular uh, set of powers of the governor, which is the power to declare a state of emergency, which is a very unique and, frankly, uh, a very dangerous, a potentially dangerous thing. And people, as we discussed, you know, when we first went into this, folks were willing uh, to sit down. They were willing to shelter in place. They were willing to do what uh, big dad government said do, and nobody asked a lot of uh, questions. But now, particularly as the data becomes available and we realize that the modeling that all this policy was based on is flawed, people are rightly beginning to ask questions. Tim said he thought, uh, Representative McGinnis said he thought that the General Assembly should have a say after 15 days. I think he's absolutely right. And I think that's what the statute says now. And, you know, we were contacted at our, at our office. We were contacted by restaurateurs who contemplated filing an action. Uh, we were contacted by barbershops, and we contemplated filing an action. The, the question becomes, how quickly can you get relief uh, in light of the timeline that you anticipate relief is coming anyway? But, you know, uh, Senator uh, Richard Cash is a, is, a, is a senator from Anderson, and he wrote... Uh, An editorial earlier this month, he said the coronavirus and the economic shutdown have created numerous issues that demand our thoughtful consideration, debate and action. When and how should South Carolina businesses reopen? When should people return to work? What should we do? What should we be doing about testing schools, et cetera? The um, but the the crux of the op ed piece that Senator Cash wrote was a was a was a critique of the 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 revolving door of states of emergency that the governor has declared. He said, South Carolina law allows the governor to declare a state of emergency in a case of disaster 
or public health emergency. It also clearly states that a declared state of emergency shall not continue for a period of more than 15 days without the consent of the General Assembly. This important check on executive power is designed to ensure that no governor can ever continually use and potentially abuse the extraordinary powers granted to address extraordinary circumstances without the consent of the people through their elected representatives. Folks, I think that's an important safeguard. And as I said, we have folks who contacted us. We considered, frankly, filing something, challenging the governor's orders. Having said that, I think, by and large, Governor McMaster has done a pretty good job responding to this crisis. He did not join other governors in declaring churches non-essential uh, activities. He did not declare churches uh, non-essential uh, businesses. He did not, as was done right up the road in Raleigh, he did not say that protesting is a non-essential activity. He has never engaged, to my knowledge, in any overt um overt effort to deprive anybody of their First Amendment freedoms. He has not uh, made any overt effort to deprive churches of their First Amendment freedoms. But nonetheless, your state government and your governor have closed down the restaurants, as we were discussing with Representative McGinnis. They have closed down barbershops. Um, they have devolved to local governments the authority to deprive hoteliers of their rights to accept reservations. Those last two are still in place. Restaurants are operating at 50%. And um, in fact, not only, as uh, Tim was saying, as Representative McGinnis was saying, not only are there folks in the legislature who think that the governor needs to be held in check, um, but there was actually a Senate resolution. Now, bear in mind, when folks contacted us about potentially challenging what McMaster, Governor McMaster, has done, not once, but multiple times, he's renewed the 15-day state of emergency. Now, multiple times, it was first declared on uh, May uh May 13, March 13. So obviously it has now been re- renewed. Th- it's been, we've been through multiple 15-day iterations. The, the orders, in fact, are, even though they've been relaxed, are still in place. But they've been continually renewed. And the question is, how long does that go on? Well, in addition to our consideration of how quickly the orders would be relaxed and how quickly we could get relief in the courts. And by the way, a lot of restaurants who contacted me were afraid to speak out publicly. And that's also another concern, and and we can get into that. A lot of hoteliers in Myrtle Beach were afraid to speak out publicly. And that, to me, is a grave concern uh, generally and also specifically uh, here in Myrtle Beach. We'll talk more about that in the future. But one of the problems that we face is Attorney General Alan Wilson, who I generally agree with 99% of the time, issued a rather extraordinary order, in my opinion, basically giving the governor cover for these revolving doors, uh, these revolving, you know, continually reissued uh, executive orders declaring a state of emergency, basically indicating, in his opinion, that we could infer the consent of the General Assembly. I assume because the leg- the legislative leadership, because there had been no vote, rebuking the governor, um, and there had been no expression of disfavor by the legislative leadership, apparently. I don't know exactly what factual basis there would be for the inference, but that was essentially what the attorney general said, that under these circumstances, we could infer that the General Assembly consented to the governor's re-upping the emergency period. 
And uh, so the Senate, uh, to its credit, uh, South Carolina Senate rebuked Governor McMaster. And again, I don't view this as a personal rebuke. Many of these senators think the governor has done a very good job, and I tend to agree with them for the most part. But the South Carolina Senate, this according to the AP this week, I believe this was published on May 13th, South Carolina Senate has rebuked Governor Henry McMaster for part of his coronavirus response, saying he should have gotten permission from lawmakers to continue the state of emergency of uh, regarding the pandemic for over two months. Every Democrat in the chamber sided with the Republican governor. And McMaster signed another 15-day emergency order on Tuesday as the Senate met. None of the senators directly criticized McMaster's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, but they did reject a proposal to call for the governor to immediately end any restrictions on businesses because of the coronavirus and not issue any more stay-at-home orders or rules further closing businesses. But the senators, all Republican, supported a resolution advising that their constituents felt the governor had overextended his powers by closing beaches, boat ramps, and businesses, and then slowly reopening them in what are now five slightly different 15-day state of emergency executive orders over a period of 61 days. They said he should have gotten permission from the Attorney General, uh, excuse me, from the General Assembly to extend the initial emergency declaration beyond 15 days. It's the rule of law, folks. I couldn't agree more. We'll, uh, we'll get into the specifics of that resolution a little bit more after the break. After these words from our sponsors, we'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. Local news and more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Two full hours on Talk 94.5. <laughs> From the south side, got brazen hair. First time I seen her walk by, and I about fell up by my chair. Had to get her number, but it took me like six weeks. Now me and her go way back, like Cadillac seats. Body like a back road, driving with my eyes closed. I know every curve like the back of my hand. Doing 15 in Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. We ain't in no hurry, but we are running out of time. Glenn, how does two hours fly by so quickly? Well, it's the entertainment business, it's, you know? Just the it's showbiz. Business. It's showbiz. No clock moves quite as quickly as a clock inside a radio studio, folks. Yeah, it pretty is, much. It is yeah. unbelievable how quickly the time flies. Yeah. Uh, we've had a couple of folks call in that we have not been able to get to. I apologize, uh, but we have uh, had some interviews today that we had to deal with. I want to thank again Tim McGinnis for dialing in. Great interview. I want to thank um, Mark Epps, candidate for uh, House Seat 68, for joining us also this morning. Just before the break, folks, we were talking about 
the uh, coronavirus emergency orders issued by Governor McMaster and, and Representative McGinnis had expressed his concern over the continual issuance of these 15-day orders by the governor. And again, this is not about whether or not uh, I like Governor McMaster. This is not about whether or not I think he has done a fine job responding, by and large, to the coronavirus pandemic. I would answer yes on both counts. But this is about something that y'all have heard us talk about repeatedly on this program. This is about the rule of law. The rule says X, and if truth matters, then we follow X. If, if, that, if that doesn't apply, then let's figure out clearly why it doesn't apply. But if it applies, then we follow it. And if, it, and if, we, don't, if we just don't like it, we don't ignore it, we change the law. That's the rule of law, folks. Everything hangs in a free society on the rule of law. You've heard me say that time and time. I'll say it again. And again, this isn't about whether we like the governor or not. Uh, you heard uh, Representative McGinnis's concerns. And uh, not only does he have concerns, but our senators, our Senate had concern. They actually passed a resolution, as we were discussing before the break. And the resolution essentially takes the governor to task for uh, declaring these multiple 15-day orders. And the resolution, which was passed this week by the Senate, and you'll often hear me take the Senate to task on this program, as our listeners are well aware. But in this case, they did the right thing, in my opinion. The resolution passed by the Senate, which is Senate 1200, and it was, um, it was adopted on May the 12th. It uh, notes that Section 251440A2 of the South Carolina Code of Laws provides that the governor may not issue a state of emergency for, and this is a quote from the statute, for a period of more than 15 days without the consent of the General Assembly. We talked about how uh, our Attorney General has issued an opinion saying that that, that, that a consent may be inferred. I, I'm not sure how you reach that result. That's a bridge too far, in my opinion, but that's what the Attorney General said. The Senate resolution continues, whereas uh, Section 251-440A2 of the South Carolina Code is properly interpreted to require the explicit consent of the General Assembly for a declared state of emergency to continue for a period of more than 15 days. I couldn't agree more. That's not what the Attorney General said. But on this one, I agree with the Senate. Then the uh, resolution talks about how the governor issued an executive order declaring a state of emergency on March 13, again on March 28, again on April 12, and again on April 27. And then goes on to say that it is the sense of the General Assembly that it is the governor's duty to ask for consent if a state of emergency needs to be extended beyond 15 days and that it is the General Assembly's duty to give consent in a timely manner if the General Assembly determines that such an extension of the emergency powers is warranted. If explicit consent is not given by the General Assembly, the state of emergency expires 15 days after it is declared. Folks, that's exactly what the statute says, and that's what should govern how we deal with this state of emergency. And if you don't like it, change the law. There is another, there is legislation, by the way, that's already been introduced to clarify that the statute means what it says. By the way, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our own senators. My friend uh, you know, Tom Young from Aiken, Senator, he, uh, he supported this measure locally here. 
Luke Rankin, Senator Rankin, he supported this uh, Senate Resolution 1200. Uh, my friend Wes Clymer, uh, sen- another senator, supported the measure. Stephen Goldfinch, uh, I'll be the first to say, congratulations, Stephen Goldfinch. I view a vote in favor of this resolution as a vote for the rule of law, a vote for freedom, and a vote for liberty. And so thank you, uh, Senator Goldfinch, for that vote. Interestingly enough, I see that Greg Hembree voted against uh, the resolution. I'm not exactly sure what Senator Hembree was thinking. Perhaps I'll, uh, I'll get a chance to ask him at some point. But I consider a vote in favor of that resolution a vote uh, for freedom, a vote for liberty, and a vote, most importantly, uh, for the rule of law. So I thank those senators uh, for standing up and, uh, and voicing that concern to the governor. Uh, real quick, uh, we've got one caller who remains on the line. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to uh, Ferris, who is uh, on air with us. Ferris, how are you doing this morning? Ferris, are you there? Looks like we lost Ferris. So, but I want to thank the uh, I want to thank the Senate uh, for taking a stand for liberty. By the way, folks, um, again, folks are starting to push back. They've been waiting. Um, you know, folks have been waiting patiently for a rational basis for all these uh, stand down orders, the shelter in place orders. And I discussed briefly with you guys the quandary that we went through when we were debating whether to bring a challenge in my office. We were contacted by restaurateurs and barbers. Uh, there actually has been a decision. Many courts have dealt with this in a, in a, in a various way that affirms uh, various govern, governor's emergency authorities. The state, the state Supreme Court, however, in Wisconsin has struck a blow for freedom, while several federal courts have recently issued decisions addressing various constitutionality of stay-at-home orders. Few state courts have done so. That changed late yesterday. This from National Review, when the Supreme Court of Wisconsin issued an anticipated decision uh, involving the state legislature's challenge to Democratic Governor Tony Evers' safer-at-home emergency order issued by his designee for Department of Human Services, Andrea Palm. Every Wisconsinite has suddenly become interested in administrative law and the workings of the high court, and it is a beautiful thing. The decision found the order immediately unenforceable. The governor responded, arguing that the Republican legislature now owns the chaos. But in fact, what will likely follow, again, this according to National Review Online, is an orderly emergency rulemaking process whereby DHS and the legislature will be forced to work in concert to establish legal guidelines for managing the reopening process. As with many Supreme Court decisions, while the concurrences and dissents contain the rhetorical mortar fire, the majority opinion, which garnered four of seven votes from the Wisconsin uh, Supreme Court, contained eight key takeaways. I'll just talk about the first. The case was really about separation of powers, and that's what the Senate is talking about in its resolution that it passed this week that we just read. In a state that has experienced a partisan divide almost none other, uh, talk, referring this referring to Wisconsin, since Governor Scott Walker's 2018 loss, Many would argue that the court's renewed focus on clearly establishing constitutional lines of responsibility between the executive and legislative branches is a much-needed development. It is. Folks, that's an important uh, doctrine, and you have to limit what the governor can do unilaterally. That's an extremely important uh, doctrine that uh, protects your freedom. And so uh, we, we uh, give a shout-out to the Wisconsin Supreme Court for standing for your freedom. Folks, let me leave you with this bit of parting wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. That's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. 
Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll have a y'all have a blessed Saturday. We'll be back next week with more Saturday morning coffee. Thanks for waking up with Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk ninety four point five.